This week's special guest, a Canadian broadcasting icon, Ron McLean, host of Hockey Night in Canada, Coach's Corner, Rogers Hometown Hockey, multiple awards, Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up! How you doing? We are very pleased to have today's guest on the show. Let me tell you about him. All right, he was born in Zweibrück in Germany, grew up in Sylvan Lake, Alberta, former TV host of the Calgary Flames, host of Hockey Night in Canada since 1986, co-host of Rogers Hometown Hockey, host of the Olympics for CBC and Sportsnet, winner of eight Gemini Awards, inducted into multiple halls of fame. He is a member of Canada's Walk of Fame, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Ron McLean to the program. Ron, it's great to see you, my friend. Oh, Joe, it's so great to see you, too. We'll get into our uh, mutual roots and uh, the way we started in this business. And, yeah, always like you, I'm sure I look at you on TV with uh, such pride and such joy, and I'm sure it's mutual. Uh, yeah, nice to be here. For sure, Ron. And, you know, uh, just before we got on the air here, we had a little conversation. It turns uh, you're in quarantine right now. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I'm in the witness protection program. You've got a scoop. Uh, so I tested positive Monday morning, the day of our Rogers Hometown Hockey broadcast, which is a weekly show that we do in communities all across Canada. I felt uh, kind of funny on the Saturday evening. I noticed a sniffle going to bed, but we had our house just filled with Easter lilies and flowers. So I thought, ah, oh, that's all it is. Uh -huh. uh, tested negative Saturday, tested negative Sunday, but by Monday morning, uh, it had got me. Uh, it's for, for me, knock on wood, it's been just a, a sinus situation. Uh, feel good, you know, no aches, pains, fatigue, no sore throat or headache. Um, but it's, it, you know, the, the pain is that you fear you've put others at risk. That, that's the, the greatest concern with this. Uh, it, it can be a minor irritation, but not for everyone. So I pray that anyone that was kind of in the vicinity of me for the last uh, five days is safe. And other than that, I'm cocooned in a little hotel room in Campbell River where they're super kind and kind of a, a break is always a good thing. Right, but uh, so what happens to work now? Uh, or well, what, yeah, what I won't next? do Saturday night's Hockey Night in Canada. David Amber will helm that, so that's easy. We, we've been kind of dodging around COVID yeah. for two years and taking turns filling in for one another. Uh, the Monday show is the snag. We have uh, North Vancouver, which is the home of Paul Correa and uh, so, you know, Joe Sackick, Brett Hall. So many great players played for the North Shore Winter Clubs, an iconic program there, and really pray that uh, I will be technically, I think, cleared to, to work Monday, but our human resources, uh, as we do the, the show here, are still trying to determine the, the safety and health and safety aspect of it. So if I can do that, great. Otherwise, uh, I'll be well rested for the start of the Stanley Cup. Well, we hope to see you on the air for that last Rogers hometown hockey. So tell me, how does Ron McLean come to be born in Zweibrücken, Germany? Well, it's a little complicated. Mom and dad were military, Joe, both in the Air Force. And when they married, mom had to get out. That was the rules in those days. You couldn't be married, if you can believe it, in the armed forces. So she stepped away and dad continued his career and was stationed in Metz, France. Uh, I was a breech uh, baby. So I was born with a, it was about a 48 hour labor from mom. And because of the breech situation, they thought the better hospital was over the border in Zweibrück in Germany. 
Uh, and that's where I ended up being born, April 12, 1960, which, by way of trivia, is the day Rocket Richard, the great Maurice Richard, scored his last ever goal in the NHL. It was uh, game four of a playoff series against Toronto. So I always kind of love the, the link to uh, the greatest goal scorer of the time uh, and my arrival being something to remember and to, to maybe think it was a path to hockey for me. Anyway, uh, born in Germany, but we lived in France for a year and a half and then came back to Canada for about 10 years of military living. And then dad retired to Red Deer, Alberta. Yeah. And why actually you're born right between my, my wife and my son. He's born the ninth, and my son's on, on April 14th. So that's a good time to be born. It's, April's a big month around our place. Uh, so um, you grew up in, in Red Deer. Your dad ended up, why did he settle on, on Sylvan Lake in the Red Deer area? Well, you know, technically we lived in Eastview, Red Deer. I, I spent all of my childhood uh, you know, vacation days. Uh, all my growing up was basically in Sylvan Lake, which was our 10 minutes out of Red Deer, our cottage country. Uh, so we, he... he after he got out of the Air Force, he was looking for work in the RCMP, K Division it was called. They had two detachments of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Red Deer, and one of them, the rural version, hired Dad to be a, a communications uh, director. He would uh, actually work with the cars. He would be, it was a dispatcher effectively, but he also would do the license plates checks. He would answer the phones, especially on weekends when a lot of tough things were going on. Dad was, uh, I remember one time, Joe, there was a, a horrible car accident in Killam, Alberta, and my father was uh, working late uh, on the night shift, and there was a first responder, was an RCMP officer, solo, uh, and it was just that individual and my father dealing with six fatalities and a number of airlifts, and mm. I always remember running into that RCMP officer years later at the Danes Rodeo Ranch, and he explained how cool my dad was under fire and how helpful he was navigating that night. And I tried to picture my father being that way because my father was a very soft-spoken, easygoing guy. And uh, maybe that was why he had such command of a, of a crazy, tragic night. But yeah, so that, that was his job, was to work for the RCMP as a dispatcher for 15 years. For me, that was uh, basically 1972 to 1987. And uh, it was a great... Central Alberta, I don't have to tell you, Joe, you worked there at CKGY. It was just, uh, it was everything. You had a, a easy proximity to both Edmonton and Calgary, the CFL, the NHL, uh, and a really beautiful parkland area within this oasis of the prairies. So nice place to grow up. Beautiful area, no doubt about it. Um, now, you were on your way to the University of Alberta, the way I understand it, and, and uh, your career mm -hmm. took a sudden detour. Tell me what happened. Grade 10, I had three pals, Donald McDonald, Sean Sutherland, and Bernie Roth. Uh, and they worked at the local radio station, our radio station, CKRD, which was always second in the ratings to Joe's CKGY. Uh, but we, we would go in, those three would go in and push buttons. Uh, they were called operators, and they would be paid $3 an hour for a nine-hour shift on the weekends. And effectively, their job was at the top of the clock. Uh, this was a CBC repeater FM station, and it would say, let's pause for station identification. And young Don or Sean or Bernie in Red Deer, Alberta, would have to flip a lever and then press a button that played an eight-track cartridge that said, this is CKRD 99.9 megahertz in Red Deer, Alberta. And then they would flip the lever to rejoin the CBC network. And for that, they got $3 an hour for nine hours. One day, uh, one of them was ill and said, well, phone Ron McLean, a buddy of mine. He'll he'll be able to figure that out, and I know he'll enjoy the $27. And that's how it kind of started in, in grade 10. I went in and worked uh, every weekend, Sundays, from 3 to midnight. 
and I kind of got the bug. As you know, once you get around it, it's uh, just seeing the joy of that business and how it makes people's day. I would liken it to bedside manner for a good doctor, nurse, or technician. Yeah, I was kind of hooked and, and just vicariously dreamt a little bit about broadcasting all through grade 11 and 12 and eventually started to do some part-time on-air work. But still, all the while, had aims to, at the end of grade 12 in Red Deer, go up to U of A and pursue education. I wanted to be a teacher because as an only child, you know, my mom and dad were, dad worked night shifts a lot. Uh, he was a shift worker with the military and mom had a part-time gig and you relied on someone other than siblings. And in my case, it was teachers to kind of influence and so I thought, what a great career it would be to be a teacher, but the broadcasting got a hold of me and never let me go. Well, you know, it, we touched on this earlier, and, you know, it was in uh, in March of 1982, a uh, young kid, Clarence Tillipaw, I was good by the back then, of course, if you recall, uh, got hired over there to do some, some radio stuff uh, on RD and CKGY and doing newscasts during the, during the day and then uh, sportscasts at night, because that's where my my love was i mean i used to rip and read the news and just you know whatever was on on the wire that's what i read but i it, the whole time i was spent you know writing up my my sports cast uh i just want to ask you okay you, you you probably you have some recollection of what i what uh what i was like back then uh what are your thoughts uh what what sort of sticks out for you as you think back to where where, where both of us were but where where i was in because I just have an interest to know about that. Well, Joe, you know, the, the one thing I recall is your boxing. You know, that, that was the first thing. I always felt there's nothing like listening to someone who knows what they're talking about speak. Uh, when I would hear George Foreman analyze boxing, it was pennies from heaven. There's a lot of people have a, a voice, but for me, the, the people who have been in the ring or people who have been in the arena, you know, in my case, I grew up uh, a child of hockey. Not, not great, but certainly played it religiously and all sports uh, competitively and I felt that was a real advantage to, to a life, I, although I avoided it, it's too long a story, but I was a disc jockey more than <laughs> I was a sports reporter early on. But it found me because that was sort of your, your true uh, preparation and your true calling mm -hmm. was in something that you enjoy. And I remember you being uh, so legit in your, uh, your handling of sports because of where you'd been, you know, what you had done. Uh, and that, that for me was always... Uh, kind of an inside track. I, you know, it's judgmental to say that if you haven't played, you can't, you know, speak about it. But I do think it's a, a profound advantage. And, and back then we were just, you know, young and uh, humble. I, I find both of us were, you know, cut from a, you know, kind of a kind cloth that was, I think, more the order of the day. I, I'm always amazed and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of young broadcasters who come up look like they have the world by the tail. I don't think it was like that for us, right? I think we were very uh, terrified about uh, first speaking into a board. When you're on radio, there's no listener per se. You know they're there, but you're kind of having to manufacture this uh, person you're having a connection with, companionship with. And you did a great job of uh, of representing uh, sport, and you were you were, you had a you know that same wry smile of on your show intro. <laughs> so that that's what I remember. You you had the uppercut going for you right from the get. <laughs> you know, Ron, I, I I remember being on like we did some some work on the air together on radio, and uh, uh, I just remember thinking that it, I was in awe at how smooth you were. I mean, this guy is so good. I remember thinking I'd be nervous that he's gonna he's gonna throw something at me because Ron does that, right? He just come, stuff comes out of, out, of, out of you know out of wherever, and uh, he throws stuff at me. And, and he's going to throw something. I won't be prepared. I used to get so nervous about that, doing the ad lib stuff, because 
you know, <laughs> Rod's pretty good. At, I mean, you're the king of ad lib, no doubt about it. Uh, but you, you were such a, you know, you were a great influence and, and, uh, a great pro. And I remember you doing the while, and then you got into sports. It was, you know, uh, I used to do the sports cast on TV. How did you end up, uh, I know you got the, you started doing sports more after after I left and moved to Lethbridge, but um, I know that uh, you you end up in Calgary and, and you were doing the Flames games. How did uh, that particular job change come about? Well, well, two things happened. One at CKRD, we went from a half hour news to a one hour newscast on television, and at that point. Uh, I had been doing work with the Red Deer Russell Junior Broadcasts, and they just said, Ron, we'd love you to do sports. And I'd always kind of avoided it, Joe, because I thought it would be, uh, I'd become a social illiterate. My my uh, wife, Carrie, her <laughs> neighbor, was the editor of the Red Deer Advocate, the local paper, Don Drummond. And I used to love listening to Don, but I felt like he was pretty tunnel vision. I would say, you know, like I can remember the 84 leadership convention was going on with the conservatives at uh, the Civic Center in Ottawa, and it was Mulroney and Peter Pocklington and uh, David Crombie was involved in that one. Uh, John Turner, uh, not not John Turner, but uh, from Newfoundland, Crosby, uh, John Crosby. Uh, and I asked uh, Don Drummond, who do you think is going to be the next leader? And he says, well, Fogey was a great captain, but I'm sure he's got to be uh, Gretzky. It won't be messy. <laughs> He was just, that was him. It was always about sports. And I knew if I got into working in sports, I'd be the same. And I have become the same a little bit. But I, I went and said to CKRD management, okay, I'll do your one hour sports cast. And that was, I mean, John Shannon, who, who pulled me away, John is now well known on Sportsnet for his work, especially on the Oilers broadcast, but for a long time was the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada. And they were looking for uh, broadcasters. TSN had begun their operation down in Toronto sports network and they hired away jim van horn john wells peter watts a lot of albertans went to the mecca there in tsn mm -hmm. in toronto mm -hmm. and so i i was one of many who was auditioning to replace the jims and the johns and i got a call from shannon who saw me on that sportscast uh, that newscast really uh, and and that's how it kind of happened back in 1984 i went down and auditioned for the job with nine other commentators and honest to god it was a uh, you know, it was a terrifying event. And in fact, you speak about ad-libbing. The, the one question that was a, a stunner, John Shannon's conducting all these little tests that I have to do to see if I'm qualified to host Calgary Flames broadcasts. I had to do highlights, interview Ed Whalen, interview Jim Poplinski. But the one thing that tripped me up was they said, okay, Ron, we're going to give you a question and you will have two minutes to answer the question. Exactly two minutes. We need you to be able to take account uh, and form a thought. And the question was, tell us about yourself. And it was just such a, a daunting idea of, you know, do I come across as cocky? Do I try to appear confident? Do I play humble pie? Like my mind was racing in terms of how to mm -hmm. sort of present myself without um, tripping myself up and scuttling my career right there with a, with too much ego. That, that was, you know, a product of being an only child is you're, uh, you're always on the alert for being that spoiled brat. And I, I've lived my life sort of trying to balance uh, confidence with humility, uh, and we all do. But uh, for me, yeah. I felt it was a, it was a particular uh, trauma as a child to, to know that because I kind of had unbridled affection from both mom and dad, didn't have to compete for affection or attention, uh, I tended to be a little bit too sure that things were going to work out. And, and that is borderline reckless, and it kind of always... If, if I had a fear, you know, you mentioned 
geez, I hope this guy doesn't go willy-nilly in crazy directions. Mine was that I would go willy-nilly in crazy directions because I thought I could. And that's, that's the thing that I think my only child upbringing brought me. Well, you did. You have uh, mentioned before that you had suffered from anxiety from time to time. Or mm-hmm. per, I, I think particularly earlier in, in your career. How did you overcome sure. that? And what was that like for you? Well, I just fought through it, Joe. The fear of losing my job was a big factor. Uh, you know, it all began. I was doing a an on location at the stereo stop on the North Hill of Red Deer. So what that is is a a sixty second live TV or radio commercial. The host back at the plant will throw to, here's Ron McLean at the stereo stop. And I've got 60 seconds to list off, you know, the, the brand new Panasonic uh, stereo system in Quadraphonic is available for $799. And you can make monthly installments of 10 and all this silliness for 60 seconds. And I started into my little on location broadcast. Uh, and within 10 seconds, my heart was coming through my chest and I was having a panic attack. And I just could not get it under control. And I can remember the store owner looking at me thinking, good God, what is going on with this kid? Because I was maybe 19, 20 years old. Um, yeah, and then I had 15 minutes to, he, I can remember, I'll never forget the disc jockey back at the station saying, Ron, are you there? Ron, Ron, can you hear us? And, you know, I could, but I couldn't speak. Yeah. I was having a panic yeah. attack. Crazy experience. So now they, they, you know, go to some commercials, go back to playing music, and I've got about 14 minutes to summon the courage to go back on and do another hit. Uh-huh. Uh, and as I start that hit, again, the groundswell of fear, you know, starts. And the, for anyone who's ever had a panic attack, you know, it's just that racing heart. Um, and I just kind of I found a way to say something a little bit humorous. And that kind of bought me maybe four or five seconds to get myself out of myself. You know, that's the trick, Joe, is, uh, for me at least. And I think for a lot mm-hmm. of us with anxiety is to stop dwelling on how you're doing and start realizing what you're in the service of. And, but that took years. Uh, I would have moments where I was, you know, uh, I can remember doing the NHL awards in my second year, it would be 1995, and they have the big drum roll and fireworks, and now here's your host, Ron. And, uh, and again, I started walked on stage and thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, here it comes. Uh, and that feeling of dread, which probably lasted two decades, uh, you know, I had to try and fight alone because back in the day, would never occur to you mm-hmm. to, to seek counseling. That, that was a it was a different time, and you thought you were the only person on earth uh, suffering in such mm-hmm. a manner. But yeah, get out of yourself and uh, know your triggers: lack of sleep, too much caffeine, whatever they may be. Some of it's, I'm sure, is psychosomatic. But if you if you focus, I think, truly on uh, the joy of bringing someone up, lifting someone's day, as opposed to you know how am I looking today? How's my hair? How's that clever little turn of phrase? Those will those expectations uh, that you place on yourself will eliminate the lightness you need to just go and do your thing. So, um, so Dave Hodge tosses the pen, and everybody looks at that as the as the uh, the uh, moment when uh, when Ron moved in. Mm-hmm. But there was a little more to it than that. Tell us exactly what what transpired when when uh, Dave left. So Dave had taken a job at CKND. CKNW Radio in Vancouver at the beginning of the 1986-87 season. It was a really nice contract, uh, six figures back in the day was a lot of money, and he was kind of moving a little bit towards retirement from hockey. Uh, you know, Dave used to tell Don Cherry, you know, well, I really want to be interviewing sweaty hockey players when I'm 60, and I think, you know, it's Dave's story to tell, but he was, he was certainly eager to do uh, the editorial work that he would do at CKNW Vancouver. He wanted to work in Vancouver when the Canucks played home games, he would host hockey night from there. And 
So then they needed me to come in and do about 10 Saturday nights at Maple Leaf Gardens early in the year, which I did. And Don Cherry and I, I remember Harry Neal saying, you know, try to create a chemistry with Don. You two seem to have something and that, that will be really good for you going forward. And that did prove to be true. Um, and then Dave, as you know, the night uh, uh, that he tossed the pencil was, he was objecting to the CBC's decision to cut away from an overtime, bonus coverage overtime, granted. Yeah. But they cut right. away from bonus right. coverage of Philadelphia, Montreal at the Forum. And Dave just did a lovely dissertation about, you know, finish what you start. Uh, was the core message and flipped his pen in disdain. And, yep. you know, yep. in those years with social media, he would have never been fired. There would have been such a groundswell of support for Dave uh, to, to keep his job uh, because he was speaking on behalf of the viewer that he would have stayed in the chair. Uh, and I would have just continued on as more or less a, a second in command or a third in command to Dave Hodge. And eventually, if Dave did move on, uh, you know, maybe slide in. But it was a it was a tough way to start, Joe. It's very similar to you know with Don's leaving. You know the 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 feeling that you were the opportunist, you were the one walking in to you know replace the legend, was not an easy way. But thankfully, I was naive enough at that point, twenty six years old, to to kind of ignore the hue and cry. And there again, where I spoke of my recklessness as an only child, or my confidence born of uh, you know consistent love from mom and dad. I, I still lived with that, you know, even with all the hue and cry around me that I was taking advantage of Dave Hodge's firing. That didn't really enter into my sort of psyche. I was I was just focused on being a good person and doing a good job and got through that. And, and it kind of, you know, it, that, that never leaves you. you. You spend your life kind of in the crosshairs of, of the judgment of others. And, and we spend so much time internalizing uh, on the inside what the outside of others and the world is doing. You, you really, and you, I don't have to tell you, Joe, you've, you've lived it. Um, you need to be able to put up barriers and, and live within. Not, not that you look in the mirror and say, I've got this zest and I don't care what people think, because you do. But you certainly need to have a thick skin. No question about that. I want to touch on that in just a little bit. But you talked about the chemistry that, uh, you know, that uh, Harry Neal said you had with, with grapes. And, and, and uh, I just want to run one of the uh, clip here from one of the earlier shows. This is just after the Oilers had won their fourth cup, I think. Uh, I guess it's easy in celebration to point to, to that as the turning point, uh, the direction that they received. But some of those players who were in trouble at the beginning of the year also came up big in the Stanley Cup playoffs when it counted most. <laughs> when Coffee left, they said they sat down. I'm sure Sather sat down and said, look, we've got to change this all around. We've got to play a little defense now. We've got to have the guys coming back. And they changed the whole game around, even Curry. All those guys were coming back. He had everybody coming back. That's why it's this almost the same defense. That's why they look good. They were getting a little help this time. Um, so uh, tell us about uh, your, what was going through your mind when, when, you see, when you look back and see a clip like that, because that's quite early in your career. Well, you know, first of all, when Dave left that night that he threw the pen, uh, we all went back to a hotel in Toronto, and that's where Harry Neal sat with me while Don Cherry had a beer with Dave Hodge. Uh, and I was part of the table, but Harry said, you know, work on your relationship with Don. And then Don, Don sort of, you know, our, our understanding at the very beginning was Grapes is a guy that he reads how you respond to him. And if he thinks you don't like him, he'll know, he'll sense it. Um, and somehow I had conveyed my uh, respect for Don in the initial get together. Uh, so he liked me. He, he, he was going to help me. He was going to bury me and bully me and do the things that allowed him to be the one wolf with his mm -hmm. tail in the air. And it was, uh, you know, extremely important to Don in terms of, you know, now that you see Joe, the world, um, the more I, I, I look back, 
I was naive or uh, oblivious to just how polarized society can be. Uh, but Don knew who his listener was, and 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 he was going to make sure he protected, you know, the the construction worker, the guy in the beer hall, whatever he thought he was. And it might be at mm-hmm. my expense if I was getting too artsy fartsy or whatever I might be. Uh, and that was a mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. thing that I didn't understand back in the day. I just assumed we all coexist, and you know, wasn't quite dialed into how to. They call it in academia now code switching, where you speak to your listener or viewer in a language they understand. Uh, Mark Twain always said that's the mark of an intelligent person is the ability to communicate the idea. For all, uh, you know, the gift of the gab is all I have. I don't have a great education. Uh, for all that I have, I'm not really good at persuasion. Grapes, on the other hand, was a genius of persuasion. Uh, very good mm-hmm. at uh, connecting. Uh, I mean, we we're a hockey rink rat crowd. And he was like me and you, born to it. But uh, he was really good at it. Uh, extremely savvy to know when to take a, a position, you know, that swam upstream and when to go downstream. Uh, whereas I was kind of always a little bit lost in that regard. So it was a great, you know, just a great uh, start. Uh, he would, he would, he would come with a kind word if I needed it. He would be, as I said, the bully if if he needed it. Uh, and I think he was, you know, in, in a world where the, the cameras are zooming on, uh, you know, drones and the special effects kind of dominate the industry. Grapes locked off a camera on a two. There was no fancy set. There was dim lighting, plush or posh lighting, he called it. Uh, and his chair had to be slightly higher. So there were a few little uh, affectations born of what's good for TV and good for the uh, imagery. But but basically, it was one camera locked off on two people, so that when he's making his pronouncements, he's not addressing the camera; he's uh, he's speaking to somebody, and it changed the dynamic of uh, it made him much more lovable, uh, and he knew that he, he was just really good at creating uh, the cinema of the coach's corner, and uh, yeah, was, you know, we still are friends, of course, but it, it it just got to a point where the world had changed, uh, and when I needed mm-hmm. him to apologize just kind of get us through or finesse our way through a mistake we'd made, which we all know. You can't say people come here and take advantage of the, the land of milk and honey and don't, uh, you can't project that on everybody. And it was a mistake and just needed an apology. But by now, Don was at the point where he just didn't feel the need. And yeah, that's a, for him, it's kind of going out like Bobby Orr went out uh, in a blaze of glory. If, if glory is the word, it's not. To him, it might well, be. Well, I guess I, I think it seemed, it seemed perhaps that he wanted to go out on terms from 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 uh you know that's right. casual observer i suppose and and, and uh you know what um you worked with him for a lot long 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 time um from a viewer it almost seemed like your job at times was to try to keep him in line was that ever even possible no and you know the the thing that as as uh you know i think back now too uh, again just seeing the politics of our world uh, as it was changing, you know, that they, uh, I said polarization, but that dichotomy between say a CNN and a Fox News, right? It was almost like we were becoming Mm -hmm. me, the CNN reporter and him, the Fox uh, Mm -hmm. uh, session. Uh, That was happening, whether I realized it or not. More and more when we were sitting, having our beer, grapes would be saying, you know, you left-wing pinkos, you know, you're killing everything. And and he was, and I thought he was kind of having fun with it, but I I, I think it was actually building within him uh, a real resentment towards uh, you know the the new world order, if that's what it is. Um, I, I think you know this whole social advancement, this whole uh, effort to uh, 
to make our world more inclusive. It was really starting to put up a wall between us, whether uh, I understood that or not. Um, I, you know, in hindsight, that's how I feel, Joe, it was starting to, to take shape. And I think Don was kind of looking for a way to, okay, this is, you know, we've had our time. Let's, let's call it a day this way. And anyway, it, it, it was unfortunate that it, it put, you know, again, both of us, it put him on the sidelines from, from what he loves to do. And it put me in the uh, crosshairs of uh, having been portrayed as, as a, you know, a turncoat or someone who threw Don under the bus. And that, that was a, you know, it'll, it'll always be a challenge to, to sort of survive that. Uh, but you, but you have to, you know, again, if you, and it's not that I love what I do that I, I carry on, but I love the ethics of what happened. And I, I have a kind of an obligation not to just cower and run away from, from what that position was. And it was a company position, not mine per se, but I, I do swear by that position. And I, you know, I grew up again, child of the military all over the world, learning what people in Yukon territory think about life, learn, learning what people in the Maritimes think about life, realizing the oneness of us all and wanted no part of a, a divisive narrative. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I couldn't talk Don into <laughs> apologizing, uh, but I certainly wasn't going to run from uh, run for cover when that going got tough either. Right, you you did apologize yourself, and and you know, um, you know that polarization that thing is still happening, obviously, and 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 continues. But you know, no matter what side of the fence you are, you know, when people talk about Ron McLean through Don Cherry under the bus, and I still hear that today, and I. Got some of that when I when I mentioned you were going to be on the show, um, you know it, it's it's like I look at it like I believe I'm a man of principle and a man of conviction, and I believe if I have principles and convictions, and my principles and convictions are thus, I'm not going to compromise my principles and convictions to satisfy somebody else's idea. Like in my opinion, it was wrong to speak of immigrants the way he spoke of immigrants. It's wrong. To me, in my in my opinion, uh, it's it, it, being racist is wrong. Being you know prejudiced towards immigrants, people sound and look differently than I do. That's wrong. You know, people have different sexual orientation than I do. I think that's and, and I, I I don't think it's right for me to to criticize them or ridicule them or or make fun of them or any of that stuff. And I and a lot of people are racist. A lot of people are sexist without even knowledge of that. Is what I found. And, and maybe myself, to a certain degree, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, you know, victim uh, of that to to a certain degree. I mean, uh, sometimes uh, in a certain situation, I feel myself feeling a little awkward, and and it's like it's something I want to be aware of so I, I can change. And so, if I'm a man of principle, and I believe that racism is wrong, and I believe that sexism is wrong, and let's face it, Don has displayed both on numerous occasions. And so, if you stand up for your principle. And you follow and 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 you know and follow that commitment and, and 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 that conviction. Why are why are you then criticized for that? Like why do you think you're criticized for that? You know, I think the the there's a disconnect between reality and perception. Always has been. You know, this I've always loathed the notion you are what you're perceived to be. No, you're not. Uh, you are who you are, mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, but we live our lives uh, in large measure, you know, looking for likes and dislikes on social media as though we were what we are perceived to be. Um, you know, advertising depends on it. Uh, but it just, you're, you're so right. I mean, the, the, or 
you you have to have convictions. You have to have what is right at wrong, right or wrong at some point. You know, and this this was an issue that was clear cut. Uh, and and unfortunately, Joe, you can't convince someone against their will. You know, that's that's the biggest uh, challenge for you and me and anybody in in a in a broadcasting uh, situation is how do you code switch to five million sensibilities? If that's what you know, if you have a viewership on a Maple Leaf mm-hmm. broadcast that's five million deep. Uh, how do I know that I'm going to not step into it by saying something that I think is, uh, you know, dressing room humor? But, you know, the new world is, if the joke's funny, that other person has the right to tell you. Not you go out and just uh, willy-nilly mm-hmm. uh, put it out there. So that's a that's a huge um, learning curve for us. Uh, you know, both of us mm-hmm. come from, uh, you know, central Alberta is, you know, if I ever use that phrase, white male privilege, well, you know, it instantly offends so many, uh, but it's it's a necessary conversation. It's it, you know the, the the way we got to where we are with our indigenous community, with the Me Too movement, with uh, Black Lives Matter. The, these were all education opportunities born of history, born of a history we didn't have to care about, mm-hmm. didn't know about, didn't understand. So it, th- this all came at us in a hurry. And again, there's the the good side of a, of a social media will be you know the quick. Uh, calling to account when i say something wrong now sometimes it steams ridiculously out of control and it's a it's a twist on something or an intention but um still it's a it's a bit of an ombudsman that whole social media idea that keeps me from being a farouk in my ivory tower and spitting pronouncements that may be completely off the mark it's a tough uh it's a it's a good opportunity and doing stuff like this having these conversations is the way we we continue to get at that but i Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. find right now it's the biggest challenge for for all of us well you know it's like racism is not okay sexism is not okay uh and bullying is not okay and and i'm noticing that like especially when it comes to like not especially but including cyber bullying i mean it's no different for, for me to to go into a playground and start picking on the smallest kids and beating them up all the time. If my if my you know friends are watching me do do that, they have an they have an opportunity to join in, call me out on it, decide they don't want to be my friends anymore. I mean that's the way I look at it. If somebody's going to post something on social media that's that it's just vile and disgusting and and and, and hateful hate speech. Uh, or racist or, or or sexist the first thing i'll probably do is call them out on it and if it continues right. the next thing i'll do is disassociate myself with that right and so no matter what you believe i mean whether it doesn't matter what side you're on i mean whether you're right wing or left wing or it doesn't matter i mean we all have to agree on that much i think you know that if i'm sitting hiding behind my computer like sometimes in, with a fictitious name calling people vile disgusting things like how is that okay how did we, how did we get to a point in our, our society that that's okay i think it's just that uh you know crazy need for validation uh has and i don't know if it's a, a product of you know reality television and uh, everybody gets to be a star or or where where it comes from to be honest um but but it just seems we've lost a, a little bit of a of our kindness, of our, uh, you know, our, our willingness to to learn. That that that's the biggest thing is you know the the attachment to the status quo that that seems to be the, the one wall between the breakthrough and uh, 
and all that history um, is the protection of the status quo. And, you know, it's scary to anybody to see, uh, you know, when, when you have an, a new diverse and inclusive hiring approach and uh, that suddenly means uh, you're going to exclude someone and include someone uh, because it's the right thing to do. That That's that's an alarming new reality that, that we need to embrace, that we need to understand how important it is as a step going forward. And that isn't to take away from you or me. It's to add to you and me. It's to finally uh, take the, the prism and make it right, because um, it was not a proper prism. It was a, a lens of, of, of one way of thinking and one way of thinking only. So, But it's, it's, it's very difficult to... Uh, you know, when someone thinks, you know, I, I can't understand how anybody thinks they're self-made because we rely so much on others in this world. Mm -hmm. But I think that's usually the ones who are, are prone to to sort of not joining this this proper fight for social advancement are the ones who feel they're self-made and somehow all that hard work is being uh, taken for granted or uh, abused by these new initiatives. Um, so... You know, Joe. You've probably had these conversations. It can it can shut down a happy dinner. It can wreck a relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. It's COVID mandates. Uh, the, these things have become via social media. Uh, they just fire down that rabbit hole and uh, into a funnel of like-minded, uh, you know, positions that that we're we're needing to fight through right now. And you know, you would hope. You know, levity is so dangerous now. Levity would be one of the ways. I just look for that lightness. And I, you know, Johnny Carson, one of our heroes, probably, certainly mine, I mean, he stayed clear of all that stuff, knowing that it would compromise him as a, mm -hmm. as a showbiz person. But I don't think we can do that now. I think you're, you're right to say that you, you have to name it and uh, identify it. And I'm talking racism, sexism, any of those isms. Uh, you, you just, we, we have too much uh responsibility sadly <laughs> right or wrong uh, you know maybe mm -hmm. maybe we didn't sign up to be ethical canaries i always use that that idea of the ethical canary as the the canary in the coal mine they used to bring them down in the cage and if the canary died that meant there was methane gas in the shafts get the heck out we we need us to be mm -hmm. those barometers those ethical canaries um and it's it's a lot to ask but but as a group we can do it you know uh, there are lots of advisors uh, you know, I, I work on Rogers Hometown Hockey with Tara Sloan, so she's a gift to me in terms of LGBTQ2 plus uh, mm. awareness and, and, and understanding. She's obviously a gift to uh, females working in a male-dominated uh, arena. Um, so that completes our point of view a little bit, On uh, but we both are white, mm -hmm. cisgendered. So so we, we have all these things that we're trying to... Uh, you know, elevate and and happily so. Back to my back to my youth in the military and experiencing variety of, of opinion and thought and background, and certainly wide world of sports where you and I would watch and see. Oh, they like hurling, or oh, they like you know the Maori dance and uh, rugby. Uh, that was so great, so uh, just made us feel so alive to experience the differences in us, um, but the sameness. You know, when I when I did Seoul Olympics uh, field hockey. We had 20 nations, 12 in the men, eight in the women, or vice versa. And uh, I just remember there were strong, powerful teams from Pakistan and India and Australia and South Africa and Africa and uh, Netherlands and Russia and U.S. and Canada. It was crazy. The whole globe was out, you know, responding to the same whistle. Uh, and that was a great feeling. But we all had, they all had different styles of play and they had different... Uh, 
approaches. So that, that was the cauldron that we need to be a part of. You know, I, I look at it like we're all God's kids and we all have a right to be here. And it's not up to me to decide who, who should be here, who shouldn't be here. Um, you touched on, on, uh, on Tara and, and she was a, a guest on the show a while back. She's, I mean, I love her. She's fearless. Uh, she's yeah. great. Uh, she talked about what it was work to, uh, what it was like to work with a consummate professional like Ron McLean. Uh, Vicky, can you roll that clip for us? Right. So it's just, you can't keep up with it. It just is right. So it does feel like a lot of pressure sometimes because a lot of what we do in hometown hockey, we're, we're telling stories and sort of little nuggets of, of stuff from around the community. Um, but it's, it's kind of like cramming for an exam every week, right? Like you go, you roll into Pembroke, Ontario, and you learn this and this and this tidbit, but it's not stuff I knew before. And so it's a lot harder for me to commit stuff to memory. I, I rely on notes a lot, but Ron can look at his notes mm -hmm. and spout it out. So, <laughs> um, you know, his, his talent is remarkable and it's not just his memory, obviously his uh, ability to just, you know, even if it's a story that sometimes veers where you think is off course, it's not. He, he brings right, it back right. and he wraps it up in a, in a little bow. Um, you know, really rarely stumbles. So it, he's a remarkable once-in-a-lifetime talent in that way. Um, but he's a really generous broadcaster. I mean, I think from the beginning, he always had more – he had more faith in me than I, I did, you know. he And he's never proprietary about, oh, this is my story. I want to tell this story. I think he's always in the service of the story itself and, and not who's telling it. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I always felt like it was, even if I didn't feel like it, I felt like he felt like it was our show. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. In fact, it was almost our show. You know, that was the, that was the first uh, great thing, Joe, was to make sure that we had a strong female lead because it didn't start out that way. It was going to be Ron and, uh, Correspondents: Jennifer Botterell, Christine Simpson, Tara Sloan, uh, and a, a group of different people contributing to the show. But right away, you know, Tara was keen to do it, and uh, I just knew from her. You, you, you saw from your interview with Tara that it's it's way deeper than her love of hockey. It's a, uh, you know, her love of rock and roll, her love of the arts, her love of uh, ethics. That would be such a golden uh, voice, uh, you know, for for uh, so many of us to experience. So yeah, and and the. And the great thing is when we used to do the show, like I would land on a Sunday, we would do it Sunday evening. I would either land Sunday morning or wee hours of Saturday night. And, and we would have basically an hour or so to put it together. And it was just so easy. You know, she, she because I guess of her band experience, uh, she could riff off mm -hmm. of uh, what sleep deprivation I was enduring uh, and, and kind of pick me up where I was lost and vice versa. You know, that, that that's, it's a good duo. And, and she's, a, you, you know, uh, to, to be in the service of uh, those you're with, either your guest in the case of an interview or your co-host in the case of a show, that's that's the gig. You know, I, I, that was what I wanted to be a teacher about uh, or a doctor, but I didn't think I had the wherewithal to be that. So it's it's been a great eight years for sure. You know, uh, Hockey Night in Canada obviously underwent a transformation, had to, and we touched on the reasons why. Uh, but I really like, I really like what I see now. Like uh, Jennifer Botterill is amazing. You know, the three-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, not afraid to share her opinions, gets into it with the exes sometimes pretty good. It's it's kind of fun to yeah. see. 
you know, then you get Vix, uh, of course, he's sharp. He's a perceptive dude. He's funny. I mean, you're witty, Ron, but he's funny. I mean, oh, <laughs> he's, he's a funny, funny dude. Yeah. He, yeah. He reminds me of PJ yeah, Scott. And Kelly right? brings he's it together, that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. a drop dead funny. Uh, and, and mischief, you know, like always kind of uh, needling uh-huh. at the right moment to, you know, kind of bring that unexpected hook. Yeah, the, I love uh, what they've done. You know, David Amber, obviously, given an elevated role, is fantastic. Uh, Elliot Friedman is our obviously our insider with Jeff Merrick, so we've got that covered off. Jennifer is Hockey Canada. She is a she's the goal scorer on the panel. You know, her uh, mm-hmm. achievements both at Harvard and with the, the National <laughs> Women's Program are just off the charts. So she's got the offensive eye for the game. Kevin has that defensive eye for the game, and Kelly Rudy. You know who's who's been great for two things. He's a he's a goalie, and you know the work he's done in the mental health arena. So we're very blessed to have that group. And it was a, you know, this is never going to be a slate on Don because Don was you know he was his own beast of a, as I said he was he created a show that was was great and unique, and will never be repeated. But we fell into I think with Bexa particularly as the as the you know one who could stir a drink, uh, we fell into a suitable, uh, adequate, uh, equal replacement. Uh, and it's just a joy to go to work with that group, you know, that, that, and, and as you said, for Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer to go at, uh, Kevin, it's going to be back and forth on fighting, I think for the rest of time, which is not unlike, yeah. Grapes was there. So that's good. We, 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 I feel like we've hit a good stride and I'm, I'm grateful for it. No. Um, yeah, Kelly, how can you not like a good Edmonton boy, right? I like, I like Kelly. He's, yeah. he's, he's good. He's got a good heart. He just, uh, you know, and that comes off really well. And as you mentioned, Jeff and, and, and Elliot, they get all the scoops, you know, between the two of them, uh, nothing gets by those two. So it's pretty good. Yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, you know, and they do their podcasts, so they're kind of handling, handling that aspect of the business, which is a very new and important aspect of the business. We're doing a podcast. Um, so uh, I just think, you know, for, for Hockey Night in Canada, it's such a, one of the things Ralph Mellenby did at the get-go was to make sure he had Bob Cole from St. John's, Newfoundland, and Danny Gallivan from Antigonish, Nova Scotia, and Jim Robson from Vancouver, BC, and Dick Irvin from Regina, Saskatchewan, and Montreal, uh, Don Whitman from Winnipeg, Scott Oak from Winnipeg. He, he really made sure that there was that kind of representation. That was back before we realized there's more to representation than the, the older white guys from all over the country. Please don't get mad at me. Every time I say that, I know yeah. I'm offending, but uh, I'm, I'm one of them. So, you know, I'm Red Deer, but we we now are uh, we are a different form of uh, of representation that is so so important. Uh, the women's game, Joe, you know, is just it's off the charts with how great it is. And uh, every rink I go into, I play beer league hockey twice a week. It's I'm surrounded by the girls uh, on the Wednesday night. The Hornets is our minor hockey girls program in Oakville, Ontario. Fantastic program. And when I play on the Tuesday night in the Adult Safe Hockey League. It's the women who run the rink over at Canlan on Ford Drive in Oakville. So it's right there. The, the, the 50% of the viewer, if not more, is, uh, is female and uh, dedicated and good at it. Uh, and so to have Jennifer and Cassie Campbell Pascal as voices, and, and we get from time to time Sarah Nurse and Natalie Spooner and so forth. Megan Mickelson's helping us now. It's been a, br- a big breakthrough. It's building and it's great. It really is. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're 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 a referee. You've le- refereed at a high level uh, for a long period of time, on and off. You've even refed at the All Star Game, I recall. Uh, now, I have to ask you, as a referee, 
Can you tell me why the whistles get put away come playoff time? Yeah, I mean, at core, it's just wanting to let the players decide. You know, what goes on inside the glass is a, is a strange beast. And it's a, extremely hard to explain now, as much as we referees have the book and have the whistle, uh, I honestly don't think a game at the speed of hockey with a puck that gets into the air and sticks fly, just don't think we can catch everything. And I don't think we can be, uh, uh, without the help of the players, I don't think we can socially police the game the way everybody thinks it should be capable of being done. Uh, I've, I've also been a part of other sports where I think that, you know, the, you know, the, the whistle can, can do the, the deed. But when, mm-hmm. when, uh, when, when the players, when they start to lose respect for one another, uh, I don't think any referee can bring it back uh, under control. Uh, we're getting closer to that. You know, the, the biggest thing was fighting. You know, in the old days, believe it or not, a century ago, people died on the ice because of stick-swinging incidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so fighting was deemed to be the lesser of the two evils. Now we realize with head injuries that fighting isn't really a great option either. So we've, and, and we have a whole culture of uh, players who've come from either Europe or the NCAA model uh, or, or just backgrounds where fighting was never part of the game. So it's kind of uh, finding its way out. And the only fights now are generally when there's been a grave injustice on the ice, uh, then the fighter steps in. Because supplementary discipline doesn't always do the best job of, of lowering the boom. But that's your, your whole objective is to have the players decide for themselves that they feel safe. Uh, when Max Pacioretty uh, got driven into the boards by Zdeno Chara a couple of years ago, it wasn't a matter of whether Chara meant to do it. What we do know is that he did not not mean to do it. He didn't step away from that. And the only way to kind of put it in his head that I better not take this risk is uh, supplementary discipline. But that's a hard judgment. So as a ref, I, I loved working with the players. I, I loved sort of reading off of them, you know, what is safe? What is, do you feel safe? That's the, that's the number one question. It's kind of where we're at in society. Uh, do you feel you have your space and it's safe? Uh, that's how refereeing sort of evolved to the point where when, when it's a really high pressure situation, um, the players will generally police themselves. And if they don't, if safety becomes an issue, then you have to make the call. And for whatever reason, a year ago, cross-checking got off the charts. You know, it, it, these things happen, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember when slashing on that, when cycling became the new, when the Sedins were doing their thing and they were spinning around the face-off circle in the corner. Everybody was whacking on the wrists and we had to cut down on slashing and headshots was a big thing for a time. Then it was cross-checking. Um, but I don't think the game is in rough shape for the way it's officiated right now. It's a hard, it's a hard beast at the speed it's at. And I think on the whole, it's being done well. Are you okay with the way the uh, the refs call the games in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I I think that's you know I love the scarcity or the sanctity of a goal. Uh, I always say you know if baseball if they called a penalty or two and they you took away the center fielder and the uh, left fielder and a guy blooped a single over into that field it would it wouldn't seem the same as hitting the ball where you know the fielder was there. Uh, so when you put a person in the box, uh, it is a distinct advantage. You know, the Leafs power play is clicking at 30%. Uh, you know you're going to have an impact. Now, you shouldn't, again, if it's a scoring chance yep. or it's a safety issue, you have to make the call. And certain calls are very black and white, puck over the glass. Uh, but I, I think the less you uh, get involved, the higher the compete level. And that's kind of the, the joy of the sport is, uh, you know, Having said that, it's gotten so fast that I think there's danger in letting them free wheel too. 
So, uh, but I think when you don't allow a little bit of interference for that poor defenseman, let's just say it's Kale McCarr going back first game of the playoffs, and you've got uh, Wayne Simmons on the forecheck, you know, barreling down, and that's the end of Kale McCarr for the rest of the playoffs because the guy wasn't allowed to set a little bit of a pick or protect him. Uh, that those are the those are the you know road to hell paved with good intentions arguments that you have to have. You have to recognize that for every advance you make in one uh, area of opening up the game, you could potentially put the player at risk. So, you know, until you've been inside the glass uh, on the ice. Uh, it may not seem as apparent, but I think it's extremely important. You know, all sports have these uh, little unwritten rules, and ours are they're not easy because the cameras are everywhere and the speed of the game is such as it is. But, yeah, I'm happy with it. So, Wayne Simmons taking out Kale McCarr, you're obviously calling a lease uh, avalanche cup final. Because that's... Uh... <laughs> That's right. That's what they'd have to play. Oh, each other. boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this Colorado team. I'm, I, I, think they're, I think they're ripe for a picking again. I, I just feel there's something about Colorado that reminds me of all the great teams as they build and uh, having another, you know, super season. And they might just be vulnerable round one because there's going to be a team or two that just scramble to get in in that tight Western race. But they're my pick in the West for sure, Colorado. And then over on the Eastern side, good luck to anyone. Who, uh, my dark horse is Rangers. I, I would not want to play the New York Rangers. Uh, and then after that, um, you know, it looks like Florida has has a lot going for it, but uh, I'm not as sold on them as I am Tampa. And I do think Toronto, uh, if Jack Campbell can do it, a uh, couple of people I really respect think that Toronto's goaltending is better than people think it is, and they were worried about the mm -hmm. defense, but the emergence of Mark Giordano just might be the cure for that ale. Yeah, Labouche can 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 hit pretty good. Uh, and, you know, it, it's not. I, I'm you know, I'm a Leafs fan, so I, I don't hide it. Uh, and uh, I do like what I see from this team. And I think it seems to me that Jack Campbell seems to be rounding into form as the playoffs get a little bit closer. Uh, best Leafs team I've ever seen. Best Leafs teams in terms of points. I'm looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's thinking this might be a team that's a little bit tired after being to the Cup final after winning it two years in a row. You know, Florida. To me, they've got a few questions. Got a very solid team, but they, uh, yeah, I like the Rangers. They got good goaltending. They can they can scare you, for sure. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you know Rod Brindamore's got a magic going on there in Carolina too. That's that's the other you know team I wouldn't count out. Now Freddie Anderson, I don't know what that's that's a little bit perturbing, right? That he gets an injury here at mm -hmm. the late stage. But I I think the the East is all going to be about goaltending, and that's why Shesterkin and uh, New York is. Uh, they're deep. Their their defense is really uh, sneaky great. Um, they've got so much firepower. Zabanajad and uh, and Aaron. Uh, I love the way Strom's playing. They're they're just a really good team. Well well run outfit. Gerard Gallant knows what to do. Come playoff time to coach them. So uh, I would not want to play the New York Rangers. I think that they, as I say, are the the team that could most surprise in the East. We'll 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 uh, we'll see how that works out and maybe hold you to that uh, and give you some credit if they happen to go a long way. Uh, you know, you and you and Don were inducted honored with a plaque on the on, on the Walk of Fame, and when you were, you took the opportunity to to uh, pay tribute to your wife, and we have that clip. Vic, can you roll that? The first Casey Kasem show ever was in July of '70. Was the only time that the Beatles and Elvis Presley were simultaneously in the top 10. I'll dedicate the song by the Beatles to you, Don. It's the long and winding road that year, and that's for you and me. And the other one I'll dedicate is Elvis's to uh, our wives, to Rose and Luba. And 
beautiful Carrie here. And Elvis sang, I will never know the reason why you love me like you do. But that's the wonder, the wonder of you. And then Casey, as he always has done and did, uh, signed off with, uh, till next week, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. And this lovely award entails both. So thank you. That was a great moment. Uh, I know that uh, yeah. you and Carrie had uh, some tough moments almost died and, and uh, you know you've had some emotional highs and lows and, and uh, it's uh, but our, I know that I can say the same thing my wife Penny Claire and, and uh, I'm sure you can say the same thing about Carrie so so uh, important in our lives and helping us to be what we are and what, you, what we're able to do well you know Joe first Mangish Enamder is the doctor there were two doctors and nine nurses the night that Carrie had her pulmonary embolism which is a blood clot to the heart or lungs I was playing beer league hockey at Canlan, and the firefighters from the nearby station came onto our bench, and we had two players who had had cardiac situations, so I thought it was that happening again. But they said, no, Ron, we're looking for you. Your wife, Carrie, has just been taken to Oakville Trafalgar Memorial Hospital. You have time to get there, which I really didn't, uh, but they wanted me not to get in a car accident on the way over. And I got there, and uh, Mangish Enamder, the doctor, was trying to do a diagnostic tree with me. He was going through where has she been, what has she done, uh, trying to identify why it is that she was presenting because she wasn't presenting in a conventional way of a blood clot. There was no swollen leg. There was no uh, abdominal pain. Um, he thought she was hemorrhaging. Of course, if he treated her as a hemorrhage, she would have bled out and died immediately. And he was figuring it out. And uh, I was holding a, a bedpan for her throwing up violently. And I was holding a hose on a aluminum blanket uh, that blew warm air into that aluminum blanket to keep her from she was shivering her blood pressure was 30 over 15 um, her o2 levels were unidentifiable which was you know she should have been dead uh, she was conscious which is weird uh, but anyway we, we came to the conclusion dr Enamder, that it was a blood clot and then he called for a thrombolytic treatment which is a series of drugs warfarin heparin etc uh, and then that drip which is done uh, saved her life um, to be part of that teamwork that night and uh, to experience the post-traumatic uh, stress of Carrie's experience was uh, yeah, one of the great moments in life. Uh, just we'll always treasure doctors forevermore. And that's why during the pandemic, it was always hard to see anyone in the medical profession kind of come under fire because I'm going to be indebted for life. Yeah, that was uh, that another thing that's not, 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 has not been fair and has not been right but uh you know thank god i mean we have the thank god we live where we do you know and and we have what we have and uh you know and that's that's awesome that uh you know the the, the kind of care that uh, carrie got and uh you know the, the fact that you got to be there and, and to get through that and it was, it was pretty 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 cool um now, you never got a chance to go to the University of, of Alberta to be a teacher like you're going to be a teacher, but uh, as originally planned. But you did get an honorary degree. Uh, tell us about that. Well, and that was right at the heart of the whole grapes thing. So I had uh, Rebel News was there, uh, as they would, uh, covering that story and uh, kind of cra making crazy things happen. But it was a beautiful day at the uh, U of A. I, I just remember speaking to the students and saying, you know, look, I'm in such trouble right now that me telling you what to do with your life is, is ought to be good. But I spoke to them about, you know, ways to assess uh, their thinking. Uh, as I said, I, I never look in the mirror and think, Ron, you've got this all figured out. I'm constantly 
relying on everything from memory, which is history, to uh, intuition, to knowledge, which is your education. To you know, you, you've got all kinds of ways to inform a decision, and uh, when you're at that age, there's an innocence, uh, a maturity, because you're not sort of uh, owing to the the mortgage payment yet. You you have to pay back your student loan, so you've got that one responsibility. But prior to having children and prior to having all these uh, debts, you're, you're kind of in a in a position to have your ethics. I think that's why young people protest more than older people. Uh, and it's just an exciting thing to be around, uh, you know, education and to to be in that room with all those profs and all those people responsible for the the great University of Alberta. Uh, again, it's kind of the feeling I had in the emergency room the night Dr. Ian Ender saved Carrie. It's just like, gosh. I have such respect for this profession. I think, you know, even politics, uh, we've been discussing, you know, everybody's in, a, in their trenches right now, but I still think it's the ultimate vocation. And I even think, you know, having your opinion within those you know, polit political silos is, uh, is one of the ultimate professions. For people to, to, to exist in the service of uh, others, I know a good buddy of mine say, oh, they're just in it for the pension. So <laughs> you can never please anybody, but... I, I do think it's a great vocation. I think the, uh, you know, education is, uh, it's just a way to find our footing. Uh, you, you, you get into a, you get into a classroom, you get into a school with all these different viewpoints. Uh, it's a way to find your point of view. So it, it's important. You know, I, I think sometimes the degree is a little bit meaningless in terms of the, the, the streets and what, what will happen when you get on with your life. But the experience of what you get through those years, that will hold you in such good stead. And it was very exciting and such a thrill to... I had promised, uh, Joe, I had promised Lakehead University bestowed me with a, a doctorate. And I said I would never take another one. But when U of A called, what the hell was I going to do? That was the, that was my dream <laughs> as a boy was to go to U of A. So I, but that's it, I, I, yeah. I think. I, you know, I'm easily seduced. But yeah. I hope that's the end of me getting the opportunity to be feted because... That just belongs to someone who puts in the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, there's, that was your almost alma mater. And, and if you that's had, right. a, uh, you know, and if the, the uh, sports gig hadn't hadn't a panned out, who knows? Maybe that's where you would be. Uh, you know, one of the one of those profs. Um, uh, Ron, I, I just want to say that uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, despite the fact you're you're dealing with COVID and uh, taking the time out to be here. Um, it's great to reconnect and it's great for thank you for sharing yourself with us for years and years and years really uh and it's been an absolute treat to have you on and to know you and uh, uh thank you hey joe that, that that i couldn't say it better you're uh, you're always a dear uh, smile and a kind word whenever we connect uh and you're so good at what you do so thank you for this and uh, my best thank you ron okay we'll have more sports when we come back more Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show coming up after the break. We're going to drive deep to center field. Hicks on the run, out the truck, out the wall, and that is gone. Swinging a drive deep left field. Get up, ball, get out of here.
guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Hey, this is Tommy Grazley, a.k.a. Tommy Gunn. I love two things, music and sports. And when I want sports, I go to the Joe Tilly Show. He gives me everything I want. It's a great show. Check it out for yourself. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Good night. When I'm working out, I like to wear my Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show t-shirt. It makes me feel handsome and strong. If you want a t-shirt, support the show, click on the link below. Now, back to my workout. 1761, 1762, 1763, 1764. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Slow play. It's a slippery slope. First you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, look quickly, and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Visit moregolf.ca today. You'll find everything a golfer could need from balls, gloves, and clubs to custom fitting opportunities and training gear. Go to moregolf.ca and get $20 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Just enter the promo code JTSports. All right, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, my Cosa Swiss pick of the week. Last week, I went to Mohawk for Thursday night's ninth race. I took the three horse, A Disruptor. Now, she got boxed in, fifth at the top of the stretch. She finally found some room along the rail in the deep stretch. 
Looked like she was going to pull it off, but Infinity seals her with Doug McNair in the buggy for trainer Drake McNair. Was able to hold off, so I had to settle for second. The three exact returned $24. This week, well, I'm going to Mohawk for Wednesday night's third race, the Ontario Sire, or sorry, Thursday night's third race, the Ontario Sire Spring Series for three-year-old fillies. I'm going with the number two horse, Addictive Behavior, driven by Austin Sorry. You won't be sorry. I also like the 236 exact box. For all the racing updates, visit Costa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. Time now for the RICOM Wrap, sports news that's close to home. Well, I hate to say it, but maybe Shaq had it right when he called a Philly sweep over the Raptors. The 76ers manhandled the Dinos in the first two games of the series. They also got all the calls. Joel Embiid pretty much got away with murder. And add injury to insult, the Raps lost Thad Young and rookie star Scotty Barnes due to injury. The Raps need Barnes, who is a finalist for the NBA's Rookie of the Year Award. Hopefully, they can get this turnaround at home. Well, closing in on the number two seed in the division and the home ice edge for this first round, the Leafs are are in fine shape as they head toward the postseason. They were able to give Austin Matthews a couple of nights off. Sure, he's banged up. He's worked hard to get that club goal-scoring record, but what really counts is the playoffs. Nice to see Jack Campbell rounding into form at the right time. This team needs to win at least one series or all this wonderful regular season stuff like most wins by a Leafs team, most points, etc. Won't mean a doggone thing, but they have been trending in a real good direction. We're trying to get first, obviously. We, we got points. We got a lot of games here left to be played, so we got to make sure we just come ready to every game and... Um... You know, we want every points we can get, um, like every team. So we're just trying to climb up that leaderboard as much as we can and be ready for whatever comes. Oh, um, just another awesome night for Vlad Guerrero against the hated New York Yankees right in the Bronx. The Jays' 23-year-old first baseman gets his hand chewed up by a spike. He had a leave for stitches, but he came back to complete a record-setting offensive performance. Three homers for the second time in his career. The youngest player, second youngest player in history to have multiple three home run games. And hey, who doesn't like beating the Bronx Bombers? Isn't this fun? That's great. I mean, I mean, the, the work that I put in every every day. I mean, uh, just to try to help my teammates, my team to win every day. Uh, it's just uh, it feels good. I'm, I'm very comfortable right now. Since the first at bat, my first at bat. I mean, I had my I had my plan. It just got good for a good pitch, uh, take a good swing, and just follow the plan. Just follow my plan all day. I didn't want to come out of the game. I already had in my mind that I wasn't going to come out of the game no matter what. I told Charlie, I'm not going now. Of the game. It never really hurt me. Even just when I put the when they put the tape on me, it, I mean, it was kind of tight. But uh, it wasn't other than that. Just the tape a little bit tight, but it never hurt. Me. Uh, they put two stitches on my finger, but uh, it, it was, it's not that bad. I mean, obviously, I, today felt great, uh, <laughs> but I don't know about tomorrow. Sounds like a hockey player. Huge win for Toronto FC. Alejandro Pozuelo popped the winner early in the second half as a red slip by the league-leading Philadelphia Union 2-1. FC improves to 3-2-2. I saw members of the Union at the airport. They did not look happy. Well, that's one major goal out of the way for the Toronto Rock. The Rock have clinched second spot in the NLL East, and that comes with a home date in the playoffs. The weekend of May 6th, Dan Craig and Tom Schreiber each had four goals and five helpers. 
to pace the rock to a 15-7 romp over the third-place Halifax Thunderbirds at First Ontario Centre. The Rock improved to 12 and 5, while the Birds dropped to 9 and 7. Another great week for Canada's excellent tennis program, securing a berth in the finals of the Billie Jean Cup. Veteran Rebecca Marina, with one of her bigger international wins over Daniela Wiesman, Leila Annie Fernandez, the star of the Canadian side, won a pair of matches. Gabriela Dabrowski and Carol Zhao won in doubles. Canada bounced Latvia 4 zip to secure their spot in the finals coming up in November. Cody Crowley is quickly climbing the welterweight ladder. The pride of Peterborough improved to 21-0 with a convincing victory over Josecito Lopez. The crippler dropped his veteran opponent in the seventh round on his way to a lopsided unanimous decision. A major title shot is just around the corner. Canada's Brooke Henderson is looking to defend her title at the LA Open. More golf, fabulous golf, as we show you in the shot of the week. God damn it. Four. Oh, I didn't mean to hook it. Yes, we're at two back. This is the tin cup hole where the movie was filmed. Ron just went for it, and I don't think he quite made it. Today's environmental tip, use less electricity. Power plants release harmful chemicals, including greenhouse gases. The process of extracting fossil fuels from the earth destroys natural habitats. Water usage to provide steam and cooling contributes to water shortages. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions for public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies Define projected outcomes for capital planning and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. And we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. We highly recommend them all. A reminder, the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcast, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV. Also, please like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. It's free, and all of our great past shows are there for you for your viewing pleasure. Thanks once again to Ron McLean for being on the program. It's an absolute honor. Thank you for watching us. Join us next week when we look at some golden moments in Canadian sports. We'll see you then. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905 905-
686-5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416 Get Aldo or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more.